special edition of the Serial Serial, the AV Club's podcast about a podcast. Every week and every few days, I guess, now at this point, a few Onion Ink staffers talk about the most recent episode of Serial, which is one of the most popular and addictive podcasts on iTunes. I'm the AV Club's Mara Eakin. Earlier today, my coworker Laura Browning and I talked to Rabia Chowdhury, the lawyer and Syed family friend who sent Sarah Koenig the case originally and got the whole serial thing going, I guess. A quick word of warning, there are a couple instances on the tape when Rabia's audio drops out for about 20 seconds, and it is noticeable, but we thought the interview was good, so we're still running it. So (laughs) hopefully you guys will like it. One quick note before we blast in that Rabia interview, the Serial Serial is brought to you by Audible.com, which is offering you, our listeners, a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash avclub, and you can choose from 150,000 titles and start listening on your phone, tablet, or other gadget. That's audible.com slash avclub. For instance, last week on the show, Laura, who, again, I talked to Rabia with earlier, mentioned uh, this book called Columbine by Dave Cullen. Cullen spent 10 years researching the Columbine school shootings and says it was driven by two questions. Why did Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold kill? And what became of the survivors? Cullen is thorough, thorough but not sensational. And although we know a lot more about the Columbine shootings than the murder of Heyman Lee, obviously, there's still a lot of mystery for Cullen to unravel. And there's a lot of commonly believed myths about the shooting that he dispels. He also talks a lot about the reliability of eyewitness accounts Uh, something that we clearly know almost nothing about but a lot from Serial, and the way memories change over time. Now that Serial's over, I'm going to go to audible.com slash avclub to download Columbine so I can listen to that on my daily commute instead of the episodes of Serial over and over and over. So here's our interview with Rabia Chowdhury. Uh, Enjoy it, guys. Thanks so much. Um, I guess our first question, just to set up sort of background for this interview, is uh, how did you get involved in the case? I think people know that, but just briefly. And then sort of what has your involvement been since the podcast started and you know, I've, you've done a little bit of consulting with Sarah, I understand, and so on. Okay, well, Adnan Sayed is my younger brother's one of his best friends, and I've known Adnan since, I guess, he was a freshman in high school. Um, they're good family friends. Like, his parents are friends with my parents. They live in the same neighborhood. So, um, you know, I was in law school when Adnan was arrested. I wasn't um, an attorney at the time, <clears throat> but I, you know, began kind of um, just following the case and the trial because find out what really happened that day and I found Asia McLean who was a, a witness that was never contacted by his lawyer and so for the last 15 years um, I've just been kind of with him and his family as they're going through the different appeals <clears throat> gathering documents and things of that sort and about a year ago is when I contacted Sarah Koenig and uh, have you had any involvement with the show since I don't know I guess maybe you are not aware that I've been blogging every single episode and um, more than every episode so I have been very involved Sarah and I you know remain connected because she needs to contact family she sometimes needs to contact me because she's continued to report as she was um, taping the show and Mm. um, so yeah I mean I I've been very involved and um, all of us have but it doesn't I mean I didn't really know like obviously like what week to week each episode would reveal we also I waited along with everybody else to see kind of what had Sarah uncovered who did she interview what did she find but um, <clears throat> yeah I mean like I, I my life has been revolving around Serial for the last three months at least <laughs> to come. Laura um, so what some of the things that the uh, the, the show is brought up, and I have been reading your blog. I just discovered it a few weeks ago. Um, and you've touched on this a little bit, I think, in your blog. But if you could recap for our listeners, um, 
what do you, what kind of job do you think that the show did with the handling of race and religion? Um, do you think they did enough or not enough? I think Sarah, I mean, for the most part, I think she handled it well. I mean, obviously, the thing is, you know, it's hard for me, it's hard for me to judge somebody who does not understand the impact and implications of certain things because they're just not in that position, right? right? Sure. So I'm not, I'm not a black man, and I don't know what it feels like to be a black man vis-a-vis -vis law enforcement. And likewise, Sarah's not a, a Muslim in the United States, um, and she's not going to be maybe as incensed or as affected um, by the kinds of religious bias and rhetoric <clears throat> that really permeated the trial. It, it, I mean, forget Sarah. I think Adnan's own attorneys, you know, who are mostly white men, mm -hmm, um, right. didn't quite get it. Christina Gutierrez played it the other way. I mean, she, she basically just, she spent days talking about it, you know. So, you know, I think Sarah still did, um, you know, a good job. I think it was admirable of her to... Um, be self-reflective enough to show that she was kind of skeptical at first but then she realized that maybe there was something there but I think what Sarah didn't understand and either she didn't understand or she didn't convey and I felt like this about a lot of different things I think Sarah did not always she doesn't like to be very very conclusive about too much stuff you know mm -hmm, right she's very cautious that way and so what she, one thing she did not the realization she didn't have was that you know in this case I mean the prosecution did not have a history of violence with Anon, right? There was nothing there um, that they could say, well, look, there was a pattern of behavior. This and that. So they had to substitute something because to prejudice the jury, and that was his religion. And so what they were doing was saying, well, it doesn't matter if he didn't have a history or nobody ever saw him threaten a woman or hey, um, because he's a Muslim. And as a Muslim guy, this is kind of what they do, you know? <laughs> it, it, it stood in. It stood in for that lack of history, and I think it was very, very important to... I mean, if Adnan was not a Muslim man, if you remove that equation, then you have Jay's really crappy testimony, um, and, and you know, also shaky cell phone evidence, which, you know, four out of 14 pings matched, or whatever it was. <clears throat> so it, it did play a factor, and I, I don't know if Sarah gets it to that extent, but she tried. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, having the trial when it happened in 1999 and if there is uh, a post-conviction trial after 9-11, do you think that that will have any effect, either positive or negative? I'm, you know, I know that there's obviously was a lot of post-9-11 anti-Muslim bias, um, but then also a lot of movements to uh, try to kind of educate people. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um you know, the reaction of people when they heard that episode, then they saw some of the documents I put online, was overwhelming, um, just, you know, disgust, and people found it reprehensible. And I think that's because people have become more sensitive to anti-Muslim bias, um, because there have been organized movements, you know, there are now organizations and there there are campaigns to, to sensitize people to these things, that these things exist. And the idea that this was such a major factor in this trial that was talked about, that it was so it was so overt, it was like there was no sensitivity around this issue. It was it was politically okay to be saying these things then. And I mean, to some extent, it's politically okay to say all kinds of things about people, uh, Muslims now too, but usually connected to terrorism. But um, I think, you know, 
the reaction I got, especially, you know, from some South Asian groups, from Muslim organizations, um, is that this is, this is intolerable. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of attention on that. And I'm hoping the Court of Special Appeals takes notice of that in a way that prior courts didn't. Um, because I'm fairly certain that people in these circles are paying attention, if not the judges themselves, then at least the, their, their clerks and stuff. You obviously don't think Adnan did it or else you wouldn't be doing this. Um, right. y- uh, do you have another theory of the case? Uh, have, you know, pretend the listeners haven't read all your blogs and stuff like that, too. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that even if they had, they wouldn't find a theory of the case. <laughs> um, I, the only thing I know is that Jay's lying. I don't know why he's lying, and that's the thing, only he knows. I don't know if he's lying because because the police fed him information. I don't know if he's lying because he was, this is, you know, that he is the person who hurt what he's saying is a lie. So I don't really have a theory of the case beyond that. I think it's so murky. It's so murky, and that's the problem here. I mean, that was what I hoped Sarah would be a little better equipped to find is like the, a couple of really hard and fast truths. Um, and she she really wasn't able to, to that extent. But now, you know, we have the Innocence Project involved and having DNA evidence tested might bring something to light. It's one more shot. What do you think the best possible outcome is for the case at a legal standpoint? And as a lawyer, like how, how likely do you think that is? That the DNA, the, the DNA evidence will be exculpatory? Sarah seems to think it's unlikely, right? <laughs> um, I think Sarah, I think what Sarah seems to think is that um, the idea that it's this one particular serial killer is unlikely. Sure. But what Sarah might not understand is that you have to make a case to the court to get that tested. It, it might, Deirdre might not have any expectation as a serial I mean, I don't know. But it could, <laughs> it could show anything, right? I mean, that's the thing. We... The fact that it hasn't been tested is what we really should wonder about. What the heck was going on 15 years ago that neither the state nor his attorney, you know, asked for that evidence to be tested? It's ridiculous. So, but beyond that, I think even in the post, you you know, Deirdre's work and Innocence Project is is separate from the post conviction work that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and the attorney there, you know, Justin Brown, is um, has really beefed up that petition and um, the Court of Special Appeals just, you know, it was a few months ago when they, and it was really before the podcast I think actually launched, I can't get my timing exactly, but it was around the same time or maybe earlier, decided that, oh listen, you know, there's, we need the state to come back and they took notice of the plea issue, they took special notice of it, which means that they're bothered by it. So um, that, and I think, you know, the Asia thing is has come back to life a bit because of Asia's interview with Sarah. Um, and so these things inject a lot of life into the, po- into the post-conviction, and I, I think that really either one of these legal routes could lead to something um, good for Adnan. That could mean either he gets a new appeal, either he gets a new trial, or if DNA evidence is um, clearly pointing to somebody else that he's just he's just let go. He's just <laughs> exonerated. I guess one thing that sort of comes up a lot when we're talking about serial in general is sort of, or, I mean, the, the Reddit thing always comes up. Like, people are trying to investigate this case for themselves. People are, oh, we're all convinced Jay did it now. 
or not, you know, not us, but, you know, other people are. Um, right. What do you think about how the podcast has turned basically all these schmoes, including us, into sort of amateur detectives? Uh, you know, you're obviously qualified. Sarah's qualified. Um, do you have worries or concerns about what the podcast has done to people like Jay or people like, I don't know, even in Nod's family? The only kind of concern I would have is if the podcast had an effect <clears throat> on people involved in the case in terms of influencing them one way or the other or putting mm-hmm. them on alert because you know for me i mean look if a bajillion people just sit there and theorize about what it that doesn't necessarily impact the case so much and you know the bigger picture here is not serial serial is a is yeah, a piece of, of it right. it's the case so while it can be really infuriating and aggravating to have people say yeah yeah we haven't read the transcripts we don't really know it none and and but but we listen to a couple of podcasts so let us figure this out <laughs> um that can be a little bit aggravating but you know what okay fine go to it it's in a way it's no harm done but on the other hand i know that people who are connected to the case people who are witnesses in the case are on these forums and so you have to wonder i mean like you know for example today's episode dawn finally agreed to an interview like a week ago and this is after him listening to like more than two months of the podcast right that might have significantly changed his interview had he given it before this thing actually aired yeah so other than those types of things you know there's nothing else i can really point to i mean i think it's just i'm sure sarah and the team is going to have to really think about this as they launch into their next show that listen people want to be in it they want to be deep in it and i also didn't just let the podcast you know speak for itself i also blogged i also added my many many two cents into it and you've been looking at this case for 15 years yeah i mean yeah it's crazy i i mean how involved people get and how much the podcast could have changed that perception like today they said okay you know what there probably was a payphone at best buy when a couple weeks ago they're like, nope, there's no way there's a payphone at Best Buy. And like the same thing with Don. If Don's been listening to this podcast, how much of what he does or doesn't remember from the past 15 years has been clouded by hearing all these other people saying, oh, this is what I thought, this is what she told me this. That and also, you know, this is a small community. I mean, yeah. Adnan's, ex, you know, Adnan's ex-classmates, you know, like the kids he grew up with, a lot of these people, we've been talking behind the scenes. You know, I know some of the players are contacting other people saying, hey, you know, I mean, that, listen, if, if somebody contacts you, do or say that. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there's, you just don't know how things could go one way or the other. But my thing is, I mean, I I can't really obsess about that kind of stuff. I have to focus on the, the kind of the legalities involved. It, it all comes down to what happens in court for him. Of course. Right. Um, notwithstanding somebody just coming out of the blue and saying, I know who did it and I have, you know, but that would be a. <laughs> Notwithstanding like anything crazy, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that we have to just our eye, keep our eyes on the prize, which is um, which is what's going to happen in, in the courts. Uh, now, one of the things that uh, Sarah went over today, she had Dana, one of her producers, uh, kind of play devil's advocate um, in the case against Adnan. Um, and I was wondering if we could go through some of the things that Dana said. I know you've you've talked about some things on your blog where. Uh, you know, I remember when they were talking about the phone call at Kathy's house um, and you were like, well, no, like, of course he would have been at the mosque. Like his father was, you know, uh, very involved and and these other things are kind of absurd. I'm wondering if you have um, 
not necessarily theories, but some sort of idea of uh, to sort of counter these these points of uh, bad luck that uh, Dana was talking about this she morning. Said he was the unluckiest guy. <laughs> actually, you know, he he's not that unlucky. <laughs> he, he was actually more unlucky after he was arrested, and I'll explain why. Before that, what happened really, the way I see it, is first of all, <laughs> it's not that uncommon. There would be no innocent person ever arrested or convicted or even executed. Um, if they there was wasn't a series of really terrible circumstances that got them there, right? This happens all the time. <laughs> um, the second thing is, you know, if you already have like you know it's confirmation bias. If you already think somebody's guilty of something, anything and everything they do is gonna look suspicious to you. Anybody who's uh, ever been in a relationship like that can even understand that. Um, but. The thing is that here, what you had was this guy, Jay, who had kind of a bare bones story. And that story kept changing and changing until it fit, sort of fit, this cell phone record, okay? Yeah. And not even right. And even then, at trial, they're like totally contra, you know, the prosecution's like, call came at 236. And Jay's like, yeah, but I was at Jen's till 345. These are things that, you know, his defense counsel could have easily. <laughs> you know, discredited right there and then, and she failed to do it. So his luck was that his lawyer sucked, didn't do her job, but it wasn't that this case, that the state had an airtight case, they didn't. No. They had a really bad, they had a really bad witness whose story didn't quite match theirs. They just got away with it. Right. That's what happened, you know? It wasn't that everything felt like a glove, it didn't. Listening to the show today, one thing that I was sort of thinking about was sort of police malfeasance and if, how much of that is possible. And I know that that's not really something they went into that much. Um, but sort of saying like, oh, well, uh, Jay said he called the police and he they were going to come get him. And then it's, you know, is it possible the police gave him a timeline and, you know, and he sort of, or, or they said, oh, don't you mean you met him at 245 or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Susan Simpson, who's an attorney um, based out of D.C., has been doing a really interesting series of blogs on this. And she's been looking at the, the Jay's police statements with a really critical eye. And she points out, I don't know, at least a dozen instances, if not more, where it's very clear from the transcript that Jay is somehow being directed. Like he's been given, given these nonverbal cues from the officers um, to kind of you know, rethink what he's saying. You know, over and over, Jay will start a statement and say, oh, I'm sorry, and then start over. I mean, w you know, <laughs> clearly something is happening. Somebody's saying something to him like, you just screwed up again, and you just screwed up again. Right. So, <clears throat> absolutely, you know, the cops, it could be that they thought, listen, this guy's a stoner, he doesn't remember, or he's going to kind of try to help him. We think he's basically telling the truth, but we he can't quite get it right. Um, but the problem is, in a case like this, it can't just be about basics. It has to be a little more specific when you have no physical evidence and nothing else. If it's going to be based only on one person's testimony, a person who got a great deal, a person who knew all kinds of intimate details about the murder somehow, however it was, it's got to be better than, you know, it kind of sort of matches up. So I think the cops did definitely coach Jay to get him to a certain point in his story. Um, and, you know, we're also missing hours, uh, like three or four hours of um, their conversations anyways, beforehand. So I think that was, uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, when people look at this and they say, well, wow, I mean, it kind of seems like, I just want to say, if this was your loved, if this is somebody right. that you believed 
um, was innocent because they said so, right? Somebody you care and trust about. And that person was convicted and put away for life on the same exact case. I can promise people would not be giving Jay the benefit of the doubt or the cops the benefit of the doubt or Christina Gutierrez the benefit of the doubt. Nobody would buy it. Nobody would buy it if somebody they loved and trusted was locked away because of this crap. At the trial, the jury deliberated for, what, two, two hours, hours. Yeah. Um, which is insane to me. Everything we've heard from, from Sarah on Serial just suggests that, you know, there's no way, whether you believe Adnan is innocent or not, there's just no way that they would have had enough information to acquit. But of course, you know, as podcast listeners, we're getting a lot of information that would have never been admissible in trial. Was there anything particularly... Um, you know, damning at the trial that would have let this jury talk for only two hours. Yeah, so we have been given a lot more than the jury had, both in terms of things that point to Adnan's innocence and in terms of things that might point to Adnan's guilt. The jury had, I know people keep thinking the jury might have, there must have been some kind of slam dunk the jury had. This was it. <laughs> this was it. It was Jay's testimony and it was these cell phone records and that was it. Now, some of the stuff that Sarah's uncovered would not be admissible, but plenty of it would have been admissible if the police or his defense attorney had actually done their job, which is, um, you know, find all of these other people who played into that day, where Phil and Patrick and and Jen Pusateri's brother, and um, there are so many witnesses who were never contacted, never called. We don't have their we don't have their phone records, um, you know, DNA evidence that wasn't tested. Nobody tried to account for Adnan's time. Nobody tried to account for Adnan's time that day, you know? That was his lawyer's job. She never did it. And so, and those are things that would have been admissible, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the fact that there was or wasn't a cell phone at Best Buy would have best been established in 1999. But, and that would have been admissible. But that didn't happen either. So, you know, but there was no slam dunk. Um, we, what we ha What we've heard is, a lot more than the jury heard and the jury I, I don't know what to say about them I mean I there were times I watched people in the jury sleeping I really really did I remember this at least on two or three different occasions and I would think what the heck is going on here and <clears throat> but you know and I, I if I was on the jury faced with Christina Gutierrez's hours and hours of ramblings I might have fallen asleep too I suppose but um, no, there was no reason for that jury to come back in two hours. Actually, you know, when I got the call, that the, I had literally, we had left the courthouse, and I thought, I'm going to go get something to eat, mm -hmm. lunch, lunch, and then it was Friday. I thought, okay, I'm, we're probably not going to hear until Monday. I was going to eat downtown and then go home, and I hadn't even gotten a chance to eat, and I got the call saying that, you know, they're, they're back. And I thought, you know what, based on this you know, case that has no evidence with two hours to deliberate, it's got to be an acquittal, right? If Adnan does get a new trial, just from a legal perspective, can you kind of walk us through what might happen, uh, best case scenario in terms of being able to uh, allow new evidence or allow evidence that wasn't allowed in the first trial? Because it's so challenging too, right? Now that everything's like 15 years old, you have to really prove what was, yeah. Right. I mean, one thing we would be able to, look, if there is an if for some reason you know we were able to get a new trial, I really doubt if the if the state would actually try the case again. Mm. I think what they might do is say, "Listen, we're just gonna time serve. We're just gonna let him go and be done with it." Um, 
because first of all, the scrutiny, the public <laughs> scrutiny on that trial, can you imagine? Right. Um, but if they did, I mean, come on, we could come at them with so much more than that. Um, we now have, um, you know, in, in states across the country where these kinds of cell phone records are not even admissible anymore. It's called it's junk science in some courts. So that we could challenge that, which would leave them with Jay. And, Jay's, and then we have Jay's testimony. We have his testimony, which is under oath. We have his police statements under oath. Any decent, competent, you know, first year defense attorney could destroy him based just on on the in, inconsistencies in those statements alone so um yeah i mean if you were to get a new trial i think the state would recognize these things and say we're just not going to play that game we're just going to leave it and i think on one hand that would be welcome on the other hand it would we would lose a chance to really exonerate a non um, in a legal sense can i ask how I mean, we hear about this trial and we're like, how could they convict him? That's crazy. They didn't have enough evidence. How could they come back in two hours? Um, but, you know, then there's been lawyers and cops and people on the show. They're like, yeah, th- you know, these cases aren't always slam dunks and people get convicted on things. You know, there are obviously innocent people in jail. Uh, people get convicted on on less, you know, on more hearsay or whatever. How these cases aren't always these, always these super strong law and order John Grisham cases, right? right? Like, you have a sense of how, you know, how common that is that something like a case like Adnan's ends in a similar fashion. Right. I mean, the thing is, well, I mean, I'm not a criminal defense attorney, but I will say that in any case, the job of the attorney representing the client is to keep that system in check, right? So if investigators failed, if a prosecution was dirty, if the judge is not doing their job, whatever it is, if the witness is, is unreliable, it is the job of that lawyer who you paid, who you know, like you've put your life in that per- in that lawyer's hands, to keep all of these things in check. And I think if anything, I mean, like, yeah, it's one thing that all the system. There's a lot of there's plenty of corruption. There's plenty of corruption in the system. Some of it is deliberate. A lot of it is deliberate, you know. But um, lazy defense counsel only enables it. And so what I would say, you know, to people who are looking at this, especially lawyers, to think about, think about, you know, what could have been done if, if his defense counsel had been competent. None of, you know, she, she could have easily countered all these deficiencies in the state's case. I think it's a shame that those things obviously happen. I think the idea that there is such a thing as bad evidence makes me sick to my stomach because that means that the truth is not important here. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I have to lay the blame somewhere in my heart, I have held Christina Gutierrez responsible for failing her client and her trust. You know, that was her trust. It's kind of a shame we can't, I mean, I agree with you. It is kind of a shame we, you know, she passed away and we, we can't hear from her to hear, you know, because her staff seemed to like her and... I mean, I don't know if her staff liked her or not. I mean, look, <laughs> the, 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 listen, I will say this. I got to wonder about that staff of five or six people who none of them looked at that case file and saw the Asia McLean's phone number and a note that says, saw Adnan at library. That's what the note says in our case file. And if Christina didn't reach out to Asia, then none of them did, you know? Right. So, and, and I'm sure everybody has, you know, I mean, look, this is, a, this is a legal community here, right? Like people don't talk about one another, but you can then look to, you don't want to talk, you don't want to talk, you know, for, you can't get anything out of her colleagues. What about the 27, 28 other clients, you know, who, who filed complaints against her? 
those are all stories that are important, right? I mean, it was the biggest payout in the history of of Maryland, um, you know, for the attorney from the attorney's fund to to clients who have been grieved. That mm-hmm. means something. I don't right. care if her paralegal liked her. I mean, you know, <laughs> when you've broken the record for attorney complaints, something's very wrong. If you have any kind of uh, last word for serial listeners, is there anything uh, that you think that that we should hear or know um, about you, about the case, about the podcast? This is definitely not over. I mean, just because the series right. is over doesn't mean it's over for you or for a nun or for anything. So. Yeah, no, I mean... Final thoughts is that, I mean, obviously the show has ended, um, but there's a lot of work <laughs> that's happening in Anand's case. And in many ways, you know, the show has kind of breathed new life into it. And that's exciting and it's great. Um, I might feel, I feel really tired right now. And I, I don't know if I sound like it, but I, I'm just tired because it was like <clears throat> when Serial started, I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy with work, with life, and I thought, okay, I have to just power through this and, and blog with it and keep on it, um, and then maybe by the end of these three months, um, I'll have, we'll have something really substantive in our hands. And I realize now that Sarah didn't really co- uncover, like, you know, anything that was, that you can really point to uh, that is hard and fast in terms of exonerating a don which means that we now have to buck up for the rest of the journey and um, and just gather our strength for it. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to be launching soon, um, you know, a, a bit of a grassroots campaign for him to raise funds for his legal defense um, and for some other things, you know, to help. Because uh, pe- a lot of people want to help. A lot of people reached out. So, um, you know, we want to honor that and, and allow people to help how they can. Now, if, uh, and I'll continue to blog. I'll be continuing to blogging about the case. There are still transcripts people want to see. There's still plenty to say. Uh, can you go ahead and give your uh, website, your blog, to our listeners? Yeah, it's splitthemoon.com. Now, assuming that the next season of Serial is something similar, sort of an unsolved uh, murder case, uh, something that has a lot of, obviously, emotion with it, what advice would you give to the family and, and uh, loved ones? Uh, knowing now what you know three months after of Serial Podcast. I imagine Sarah has people coming out of the woodwork. Right. <laughs> Do my story. I'm sure she does. You know, we've I, I've been contacted by a lot of people who said, you know, I have something similar that happened to a loved one or something. Can you help? And I just, you know, don't have the bandwidth for it. But <clears throat> um, the advice I would give is, number one, stay off of Reddit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and be there to tell the rest of the story. Because Sarah's, Sarah tells her story. But that's not always the full story. And so be there to tell your part of the story. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Yes, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much.